This podcast is brought to you by Stella Artois. When you're planning to enjoy everything Houston has to offer, especially all the great restaurants in our city, start with Estella. Whether you're going to eat with friends or solo, start with Estella. Stella Artois. Enjoy responsibly. Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's bi-weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. This is the Tuesday show where we talk about some news from the restaurant world and share our impressions of some restaurants we have dined at recently. To do that, I am joined by my co-host this week. She is the owner of Avondale Food and Wine, Mary Clarkson. Welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great, Eric. I'm very happy to be here today. Thanks for doing this. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, Seth Siegel Gardner, one of the former chef owners of the Pass and Provisions, is now the culinary and creative director for all of Benji Levitt's restaurants, a group that includes local foods, O-Tour, Lee's Den, and Maximo Canteen, which is the restaurant replacing El Topo in West U. Most recently, Seth has been working as the culinary director for the Southern Smoke Foundation. He remains a co-owner of Marfa Spirit Company. Mary, I say all that to say to you, what do you think about this this move for Chef Seth Siegel Gardner and restaurateur Benji Levitt? I'm curious as to why that he would leave Southern Smoke. I feel like that was probably a pretty good gig. I think his partnership with Benji Levitt isn't completely surprising, given that the given that the fact that they've worked together in the past, uh, and Benji's an experienced operator who continues to grow, and having somebody by his side like that is sure to be helpful. Um, but I I am curious as to why he left Southern Smoke. Do you know? I do actually. Yes, I we it's. You know, Seth and I talked a little bit for the article I wrote about this move by him, and he basically said that he missed working day-to-day in restaurants and that he he will always be affiliated with Southern Smoke and he do, he will continue to do fundraisers for Southern Smoke. In fact, last week he did a, a dinner at Riel with Ryan Lachane, and O'Tour is running a special dish that's a kind of a nod to the the pork belly with cane syrup that Chris Shepard served in the Catalan days. And a hundred percent of the proceeds from that dish at O'Tour will go to Southern smoke for the month of November. So yeah, I think, I think just from Seth's perspective, you know, his time in nonprofit and, and being a fundraiser and, and working with all the chefs that come to Houston for the Southern smoke festival and doing dinners in different venues across the country was, was fun, but you know, ultimately he's a chef and his heart lies working in restaurants. And and I think that's, you know, like you said, he's worked with Benji Levitt before he consulted on the menu uh, for the, for Benji's uh, rice village location that, that closed during the pandemic, but they, they redid their menu for their 25th anniversary in 2019. Uh, he had a big hand in that. And, you know, most recently Seth was consulting on Kitami, the new Japanese restaurant. We'll, we'll talk more about that here in a little bit. Uh, but he went with, Chef Hori to Japan and and soaked up all of the the dishes and the environment and and that shaped some of the 
some of the items on the menu at Kitami. So, you know, he's, he's always been kind of a, a consultant that's, you know, there's a couple of uh, pastas on the Polly's menu, even that date back to when the pre pass and provision days. So I think that's a role that Seth is very comfortable with. And, and I, I like the idea that he's going to be mentoring uh, the various chefs in the, in the Benji Levitt orbit, you know, especially for Maximo. Cause you know, you and I both loved El Topo. Uh, we but love we El Topo. Right. And we, and we have tremendous respect for chef Tony Lerman, but we always had the feeling that it could be a little better. And, and I think that's that bridging that gap is going to be kind of chef uh, Seth's role, right? Like, Getting, will, the, you know, will the public be able to see Seth cooking and experience that, or will it all be <laughs> behind the scenes? You know, I'm not really sure. I think I think for now it's kind of behind the scenes, or maybe you'll you'll see him promulgate a special here and there. It's mostly a kind of leadership mentorship role. I did ask Seth if it could someday include a new restaurant for him, and he acknowledged that is a possibility, but said that there's no you know firm plans. But but. So, you know, I think I think the sky's the limit. I think I think this is a very successful operator pairing up with a very talented chef and anything that puts Seth Siegel Gardner uh, back in Houston restaurants is a good thing. I agree. It's like uh, I feel like we're a decade ago. All these chefs that we've missed are coming back to the forefront and I like it. I do, too. All right. Let's move on to topic number two. Speaking of chefs getting new jobs. Tim Redding, most recently of GJ Tavern, is going to lead the kitchen at Leo's River Oaks, the new restaurant that will open next to the River Oaks Theater from State Fair owner Culinary Concepts. Uh, That's also the company that's renovating the River Oaks Theater, so no coincidence there. Uh, You know, Mary, I don't. did you make it to GJ Tavern when Tim was there? I did. Uh, I did. Yes, I did. I mean, I, I, I just, you know, I really liked it. I, th- I thought what he, I thought he had the perspective that that restaurant needed. You know, I thought his vegetable dishes were good. He made an excellent, you know, he just like classic, classic American fare executed well, you know, a great roast chicken. Uh, that mushroom Swiss burger was terrific. He was making the burger uh, gamelli pasta. I'm sorry. The burger was great. The burger was great. The pasta was really good. He was obviously having fun in the kitchen. He's a very entertaining Instagram follow because he does carpool karaoke most mornings. So I like this for I like this for Leo's quite a bit because as as we're about to discuss, it's it's a competitive environment in the Rural Shopping Center right now. Woo boy, is it ever. It is very competitive and it's about to be even more competitive. Right. So obviously Brasserie 19 is a staple. Xanti has been open for about a year, done done pretty well. Uh, Hudson House just opened. We'll talk about Hudson House in a few minutes. And then Kikoti, the how, how it's not a French. I, I can't say that it's a French restaurant, but it has it has a French influenced ownership and French chefs running it. But it's not a French. The, their publicist was very clear. It's not a French restaurant. Yeah, but that's because it'd be a violation of their lease. It's a French uh, French owners doing an American restaurant the same way an American restaurant does French, a la B nineteen. Supposedly, I find. All of this very amusing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, as do I. But but and and then you know obviously Lagroya just left the the center. There's a lot of speculation about what will replace that. Nothing official yet. Nothing 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 we can report. 
Uh, really? Here. You're not even gonna let me like kind of like spill the tea about what it's gonna be, even though it's. I not mean, you can official. tell you can tell people what you've heard. I just want to be very, I just want to be very explicit that that I have tried to confirm what you have heard, and no one will confirm it. Well, if it's not good company, I'll be very surprised. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yes, Tex-Mex, Tex-Mex will fit in nicely with everything else going on there. I think. Anyway, so let's just, you know, we've got a, we've got a lot of restaurants to talk about, so I don't want to linger on this too long, but just go for it. From your from your perspective as as someone who knows that shopping center well, who goes to Brasserie 19 regularly, what do you think about Leo's? Like what what is Tim's task here? Uh, to try to create a unique identity because there's already a lot of strong operators in this center. Everybody is always like they're going to come for B19. Let me tell everybody that's in the center or is going to be in the center. Nobody's coming for B19. Okay. The relationships that that restaurateur Charles Clark has developed and has maintained, nobody's going to get that. So everybody's trying. And if they get some of his customers that come once or twice, that's a win. But B19 is a power spot and in a way, in a, in a universe that there aren't a lot any of, of them for like a Friday power lunch spot, that type of CNBC crowd. Um, so I think you have to offer different food offerings than the current uh, landscape. So you've got Zanti, you've got Kakodi that's about to open up. You've got Hudson House. You've got this. So you need right. to give Perry's, people... Perry's, right? We shouldn't, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't slight Perry's? Oh, Jesus. Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I think I have been there once and it was for a legal event like anyway but yes you have to offer something different than the current landscape because it's a it's a dense landscape and it's only getting filled with several more restaurants that are either online or about to come online so you know just don't try to don't try to compete with what already exists be your be yourself yeah and and I think you know if they kind of if you think about culinary concepts, they own State Fair, they own Liberty Kitchen, I think maybe leaning kind of in that kind of, you know, those restaurants basically serve kicked up comfort food. If Tim can kind of lean into that with, you know, better technique, better ingredients. Uh, he served a roast pork dish at the recent Urban Harvest Sunday Supper that I really enjoyed. He's got a background working in Germany, so maybe there's some some possibilities there, but he worked for Hugo Ortega at Caracol for a couple of years. So certainly knows Mexican cuisine very well. If he wants to kind of lean into that, uh, there are, there are possibilities, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Leo's fits in. And, and even if it's just, you know, a place to go before you go see a movie, it, it's still gotta be compelling. Yeah. It's gotta be compelling. Don't do American. Don't do French. <laughs> right. Figure, figure out something else. All right, Mary, I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week because we have a whole lot of restaurants to talk about, so stick around. Mary, for our Restaurants of the Week, we have a hotel three restaurants and a dive bar to talk about. So we have a lot, we have a lot to discuss. Let's start with the Hotel Lucene. This is the new boutique hotel in Galveston. It is a renovated mid-century motor court. 
you know, I had Keith Jacoby on recently. She's one of the owners. I had Chef Lilo Ortiz on with her to talk about the Hotel Lucene. This is this is a very different property than a place like the San Luis or the Galvez or even the Tremont. It's smaller. It's a lot more intimate. It's a lot more personal. So let me just ask you, what did you what did you think of our night at the Hotel Lucene? I love where this fits in the you know menagerie of hotels in Galveston. I love that it's not super big. I grew up going to Grand Galvez Hotel in San Luis, and those are great for what it is that they do. But I think if you're looking for a more boutique type of experience, something smaller, something that you don't have to wade through a lobby and a bank of elevators to get to your room, I, I really liked what this did. It reminded me of going to Palm Springs to visit my grandparents as a kid. It had that kind of mid-century feel to it that was light and bright and airy. Uh, I loved their pool. I didn't really dip into it too much because it was kind of chilly and I arrived on the later side, but it was heated and they say that it's cooled in the summer, which I think is nice. Uh, And I loved the design. I thought the restaurant was beautiful. It was you know, warm wood, neutral wood colors, candlelit, great light fixtures, great furniture, uh, really felt like a high-end restaurant for uh, Galveston, which they really don't have much of, to be honest, that aren't tourist traps. They're actually like nice, independent, smallish restaurants. And their rooftop bar was really compelling too. I thought in my mind it was going to be kind of small, but it was really big, room for you to spread out, sit in lounge chairs or couches or at the bar. Uh, the bar had an indoor outdoor uh, ability to it. So, you, you know, if the weather wasn't great or if it was too windy, you could kind of sit in the bar. I really liked what they did here. It was, it was very thoughtful. Yeah, no, I, I agree with all of that. I think for me, the footprint is maybe its primary appeal. I mean, you know, it's, it's only two stories. It's only about 60 rooms. So you can walk from the lobby to a room at the far end of the hotel in a matter of a minute, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't take very long and try, try doing that at someplace like the Galvez at the San Luis. It probably, it probably takes you longer to get from your room to the elevator and wait for the elevator than it does to cover the entire length of, of the Lucene. I do think what really sets it apart is that that footprint and then how sort of it's designed around its community spaces, right? Like you, you know, the, the individual rooms are pretty small. I looked on the website, it said they're about 220 square feet. So, uh, you know, my room only had the only piece of furniture in my room that you could sit on was the king size bed. So, you know, there wasn't a desk, there wasn't a chair, there wasn't anything like that. So, you know, if you wanted to sit and read or, or do work or whatever, you're going to have to get out of your room. You're going to have to hit a chaise lounge by the pool or go into the den, which is kind of their their lobby bar, flexible dining space that has couches and armchairs as well as kind of banquettes for dining or, or you're going up on the roof. And, and I will say, you know, we had a couple of drinks up there uh, before dinner and, and there's just something really relaxing about sitting on the roof. You're facing the Gulf of Mexico. You're watching the waves roll in. uh, You're drinking a delicious cocktail. The wind is blowing. You can smell the salt air. It's, it's very peaceful and it, and it kind of takes you out of your day-to-day routine. And, and I could see, you know, even if I weren't a guest at the hotel wanting to be up there for a drink or two 
you know, towards the end of the day, right? As the sunset's going down. Yeah, there's not a lot of bars that offer the kind of views that we were able to experience on the rooftop bar that are, you know, service oriented and uh, cocktail oriented. I I really liked what they did. I mean, I'm going to contrast it with the high-low version of me, which is also, I like the poop deck, but the poop deck is not the same thing as this, right? So like people that have been going to Galveston for years and want a new place to go to, this is great. Um, you and I both love Daiquiri Time Out. We didn't get a chance to go on this trip, but imagine that type of quality of drink with these views. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. No, absolutely. And and I just want to talk just briefly about the Fancy is a separate experience from the Hotel Lucene. It's overseen by Chef Lila Ortiz, who worked uh, for David Chang in New York. She worked at UB Preserve and at Blue Dorn here in Houston. So she's uh, very accomplished. What were maybe one or two of your favorite dishes that we ate uh, at the Fancy? I don't normally order chicken just about anywhere because I feel like that's a dish that's just like, okay, great. It's chicken and it's overrated. Um, but their chicken and dumplings were fantastic. Perfectly cooked, really flavorful, crispy skin. The dumplings were great. I really loved, I honestly very much loved that. And then kind of an unusual dish that we had as a starter was the chips that was prepared with uh, tuna and prosciutto, I believe. And that was kind of fun. But the dish that was certainly the most over the top that was really beautiful was uh, the potatoes and caviar dish, which was double yum in my book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Potato pave, like a, you know, sort of a crispy potato with creme fraiche and then caviar on top, like kind of a, a more sophisticated version of the caviar tot uh, that you get at Riel. So that was really terrific. I'm, I'm completely with you on the chicken. And just to clarify for people, it's not chicken and dumplings in, in kind of a Southern style. They were like a uh, little gyoza almost that were filled with ground chicken. So I, I just, that was such a clever riff on familiar roast chicken. I'm with you, right? It doesn't, it doesn't typically make sense to order chicken at a restaurant, but, but you know, this chicken was outstanding. So we really enjoyed it. And the desserts. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed all three desserts that we tried. So you know, there's a lot, to, like a lot to like about this too. restaurant. You like the yeah. fish? Yeah, the snapper with like the it's super classic French technique, right? With the, the potato crust, you know, North, and, in, and in a, a city of, of a million, like, you know, redfish on the half shell or or blackened snapper, like, you know, this is this is a little more French. Like this is a little more kind of a fresh perspective, something a little different. And, and I think that's that's kind of the whole mission of the fancy is to be a little different. Normally when you and I dine out, usually one dish doesn't hit right and it's not necessarily bad it's just maybe under seasoned or doesn't have a sauce that we like or whatever it may be this restaurant actually there were no misses and for a restaurant this young that's an accomplishment in and of itself to be honest i i think that's right uh, especially for being you know i think it was the second official day open to the public you count friends and family uh it was day four so yeah we a, a lot to like about a lot to like about the fancy and and honestly, you know, it's really only about an hour from downtown Houston, you know, if you don't get caught in rush hour traffic. So I, I think the move is leave Houston, maybe three o'clock, go down to the bar, hang out on the rooftop for a little bit, 
uh, then have dinner and then go back. Or, you know, if you want to spend the night, maybe let the traffic die down, leave it, uh, you know, leave it seven and then have dinner at the fancy, spend the night breakfast in the den and then, and then you're good to go. So uh, I think there's a lot to like about the Lucene. I, I was, I was very impressed. My only secret wish is that they become doggy friendly. And that's one of the things that I told the manager. I was like, you're too close to Houston that people will want to bring their doggies. I know they were trying to figure out a green space if that was a possibility, but if you're dog friendly, you will not only have me, you will have my mom often. So just, just friendly feedback. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. All right. And then our second restaurant that we want to talk about is Katami. This is the sister restaurant to Katarobata. It just opened on West Dallas next to Faraday Garden and the new LaGroya. It is led by Chef Manabu Hori Uchi, better known as Hori-san. This is kind of the grand stage that that Hori has been sort of waiting for, right? I mean, you know, Katarobata is uh, more than 10 years old. It opened before uh, places like Uchi. It, it opened before... Uh, the wave of very intimate omakase restaurants before uh, Nobu came to town, Roka Akora, things like that. So, you know, in some ways it's, it's a little dated and, and Katami just like takes, takes everything you like about, about Katarabata and just then adds like a whole wave of luxury with caviar service and imported Japanese Wagyu beef and, and more premium nigiri and and a huge sake cellar. So, I don't know, let me throw it to you. What did you what did you think of Katami? I thought Katami was great. I mean, a little biased. I go to Katarabata several times, not several times, several how about several times a month? That's fair. Uh it's very close to my house. I think that the quality of, of the seafood that Hori has always presented has been spectacular, and Katami is no exception. I think this is a more elevated experience than Kata is the interiors are absolutely stunning they're understated but what people don't understand sometimes is that understated it takes even more skill than uh over the top and it felt like that the the room felt like Nobu in Malibu I'm not even kidding you I was like where am I I do not feel like I'm in Houston much less Texas but every food item that hit our table was outstanding and it was different enough from kata i mean little things like for the there's a emphasis on vegetables here which i really liked uh, there was corn mushroom okono miyaki which was mixed mushrooms cabbage egg mayo carrot flakes crunchy onion and yeah. their yeah, a savory, a savory pancake yeah that was incredible and that was totally different than anything you'd get at kata And then, you know, things like the nigiri. I had a friend of mine who went a couple of days after us and was like, oh my gosh, so expensive. This, that, and the other. I was like, you know what? You eat at all the fancy sushi restaurants. This restaurant, the sushi on your plate left Japan 20 hours ago. So you're getting really amazing quality here. Yeah. And and that's something actually I talked to Hori about, you know, I wrote about his trip to Japan. He has a buyer on the floor at the at the fish market in Tokyo. And and he texts he they text back and forth every day. And so essentially what happens is that you know Hori Hori is buying, you know, within within a price point. I mean, some of the very best product. And then it's it's shipped here and yeah, less than 
in less than 24 hours from fish market to to dinner. So it's it's very impressive in that sense that that they have the those kind of relationships and and those kind of logistical resources. And so yeah, it's 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 a very expensive restaurant. I think you know that's the I think that's that more than anything is kind of you know with the with the grilled king crab that we got with the the wagyu beef on the hot rock that we tried with the toro tartar was the best i've ever had yeah the sushi roll with the lobster you know the other sushi roll with the the uni and the caviar i mean you know all of these things you know we spent almost 500 dollars on dinner and and it was worth it (laughs) yeah and well right and i i think that i now, I, I don't think that you have to spend that. I mean, I, I think you no. will probably, I think two people probably will spend close to half that if you drink any alcohol at all. I think it just, it adds up so quickly. And the, frankly, the cocktails are so good that if you are a drinker, you'll enjoy that. The that cocktail programming here was, I was blown away. I mean, I don't really, to be honest, when I'm at Katarabata, I'm there a lot for lunch and sometimes I'll get to, uh, a beer, you know, a sahi on draft, or maybe I'll dip into a little sake or a little wine. I almost never order cocktails at Katarabata. It's just not where my mind is at when I dine there. The cocktails here were very compelling. No, absolutely. But, but, you know, I think, you know, we can sort of rave about this meal for another, another 10 minutes. We don't, <laughs> we don't really have time to do that. You mentioned the Okoyomanaki, you mentioned some of the nigiri that we had. Uh, was there anything else that stood out in particular that you wanted to mention? Uh, that foie gras, peanut butter and jelly with milk bread. That was pretty outstanding. That's not something I would order, you know, frequently because it's so decadent and rich, but it definitely checked a box for me the night that we were there. Uh, and their sake programming is incredible as well. If you like sake, you're going to be very, very happy here. Well, and and the way that they've priced these kind of large format bottles you know, from, from these smaller uh, sake breweries, you know, it's, it's less than some of these more mainstream wines on their wine list, right? They'll, they'll sell you a bottle of Clicquot, but they're going to make you pay. I think it was 150 or $160 for it. No one should be drinking Clicquot. Well, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, but, but for people who really love it, you're going to pay for it. You're you're better off. Like the, the way the pricing is sort of set up is you're much better off asking them to to guide you to the sake list to something that you'll enjoy and they present it so beautifully you can uh, have you know. a really compelling bottle for plus or minus a hundred dollars here which i think is an exceptional value for this style of restaurant right absolutely and then you mentioned some of the some of the dishes i mean i you know yeah we just had a we just had a fantastic very decadent meal so so let me just ask you when will you go to katami and when will you go to kata oh shit uh or sorry um <laughs> i will probably go to kata today to be honest um <laughs> and i'm like it's the beginning of my week it's a nice i either like to begin or end my week with kata it's just something i can't cook at home something i look forward to so kata for sure this week uh katami i will go back to soon I will actually, ironically, probably take my mom uh, next time I go. She's not super into sushi, but this menu is so diverse that I think both of us could be happy. So, yeah, definitely Katami in the next few weeks. All right. And then our third restaurant, I want to talk to you about Hudson House. This is the new restaurant that opened next to Brasserie 19 in the River Oak Shopping Center. It comes from 
Dallas's Vandalay Hospitality, who made a brief stand in Houston with the East Hampton Sandwich Company uh, that mostly got pandemic, I think. And then they are also working on Drake's Hollywood, a luxurious steakhouse that is opening in the former underbelly space at 1100 Westheimer. Uh, Mary, I say all that to say to you, (laughs) (laughs) what did you think about our dinner at Hudson House? Ooh, I'm going to start with the highs. How about that? The highs highs. are, let's start with the highs. Um, The highs are, I'm going to get, I'm going to get some flack for this, but I don't care. I liked martini very much. It's evidently a trademarked coldest martini. The world's coldest martini. It's, it's, it's what we call puffery, right? It's not something you can actually prove, but they have (laughs) trademarked that phrase. Uh, And it, and I'm with you. It was a very, very delicious uh, martini. Delicious martini. I told somebody who I immensely respect in the hospitality industry that is the top of his game that it was the world's coldest. And I used the evidence of it was chippy. Ice chip says that my evidence is the world's coldest. He's like, that's evidence that it's not the world's coldest. But besides that, I very much enjoyed it. Super cold reasonably priced they also offer their martinis on happy hour so i think that's a very compelling offer at happy hour i very much liked the burger i thought that was well executed typically when i go to restaurants i always like to try their staples you know if you're gonna mess up a staple then i probably don't want much else from you uh but they executed the burger very well yes they they're very proud of their burger uh double patty very classic looking you know american cheese their sauce like it's it's a very pretty burger like it photographs really well it tasted good i was really happy with the burger the popcorn chicken the fried chicken i really enjoyed that those were good and then the steak frites i mean you know nothing fancy but just just a good piece of steak cooked right crispy fries what's not to like i want to i want to do a poll of like how many of these restaurants are opening within two blocks of hudson house and b19 that have a steak frites or a version of it and then <laughs> like literally and, and then rank them. Yes. <laughs> but you said you wanted to talk about the good first there were a couple of dishes that missed for us i mean you know the, the one that Lobster comes to mind roll. is well well and the sushi roll right the the yes they call it the best roll it doesn't have rice and and i think it's kind of a clever idea but what i found is that i really missed the texture and the structure that rice gives a sushi roll Right. Like, yeah, like I, I get it. If want... you're trying to cut carbs or whatever that you might not want rice in your sushi roll, but I am not one of those people. And I, and I prefer, I prefer I rice. I want roll. sashimi or nigiri. I do not want whatever version of this there was. It became the texture. You're 100% right. It was, it's just like the mouthfeel of it was very mushy and like, there's nothing wrong with it per se. It's just, that was a miss for me big time. Yeah, and then you know you mentioned the lobster roll. I, you know, this is this is some, this happens a lot in restaurants in Houston where, the you know, best essentially. Part is the fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I go to Maine and I get a lobster roll, there's just there's not a lot of mayo in them, right? It's really just kind of enough to hold the whole thing together. This was more like lobster salad, right? Where it had more mayo, um, a little more viscous, and. You know, my my thing is that that covers up some of the lobster flavor. So I, I kind of understand why they do it that way. But it also wasn't super fresh. It tasted like it was frozen and reheated. And that for me is a no, no. Like 
the texture of the lobster, it was not, it was also mushy, right? Like, I don't know. Yeah, and, I, I, and I had, and there was too much mayo in the Clark's lobster roll that I, that I tried too. So I, I think this is just kind of a, it's kind of the way it goes with some of these newer places where they're, if you're you going to mess want, around, they want the lobster start... roll, they want the presentation, but, but, you know, it's a tricky thing to get right. I think because it's think so it's... simple. I think it's it's an expensive price point no matter where you're going to have a lobster roll in this town because it's expensive, whatever, fine. But don't put it on the menu if it's not going to be great, especially for these price points. Right. You know, the one thing I will say is I would go back just for that chocolate silk pie. It was so chocolatey and creamy and delicious. It was so good. That chocolate silk pie was amazing. Our hospitality was very good while we were there. I did like the kind of semicircular round banquettes, very comfortable. You know, I there were a lot of things I liked about this space. I don't understand why their interior designer basically stopped at eye level and we have popcorn looking ceiling tiles and track lighting from the 80s, but that's just me. <laughs> right. It but those those blue leather booths are beautiful. All the polished wood is really pretty. Their uh, artwork was great. It was, it's a pretty room. Like I'm being critical because I'm just like, what? You built this out from scratch and you stopped at eye level. But the rest of right. it, eyes down, very pretty. Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, booth seating, comfort food menu, relatively small menu, a great martini. Mary, is this, is Hudson House the new Houston's? No, I was at Houston's this past week. Nothing is the new Houston's, just like nothing is the new B19. Houston's is Houston's. <laughs> not Hillstone. It's not anything else. I I like it. I think they'll do well. They'll do better than Perry's and not as good as B19. How about that? <laughs> well, I, I think I think if they I think they would be very happy with that to to be somewhere in between those two restaurants. We, you'll go back. Yeah, I'll go back. I almost went back. To be honest, I I was contemplating places to go, I think, on Friday. And uh, a lot of my normal crew that goes to B19 was out of town or whatever. And I almost went there for happy hour for a burger and a martini. And I can't remember where I ended up, but anyway, yes, I will go back. Yeah. I, I had someone ask me recently for dinner recommendation for a Monday night, re, like not crazy expensive, good environment. And Hudson house was one of the first thing that came to mind. I think, I think it, it's going to fit that bill uh, for a lot of people, casual weeknight dinner, Happy hour at the bar. They do a weekend brunch that I'd like to try soon. People in so, town from Dallas that want to feel like they're in Dallas, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm being lighthearted. Hopefully they let me sit at their bar, but they'll do fine. Like, honestly, um, our peculiarities, whatever, they they will do. They will do fine here. Um, the traffic counts really good. And I think the hope for this entire center is that people literally do walk around and mingle from it and so yeah start happens. with a martini and some popcorn chicken at hudson house walk next door to brasserie 19 for a, a steak frite or you know those lazy lane fries with the frog gras and then i don't know cross the street to kakodi for uh not french dessert whatever they decide to do <laughs> apple an apple tart that is not tart to ten uh, yes i'm very excited about kakodi too though i do think uh bridging the gap of like it being a walkable center you do have to have offerings on the other side of the street so the restaurant we talked about next to river oaks theater will help kakodi will help and so then you'll kind of have a loop right absolutely all right and then last but not least we should just note that catbirds the 
legendary Montrose dive bar has reopened under the ownership of Anvil owner Bobby Hugel and his business partner, Peter Yanka. Peter has been with Bobby for a long time. He's worked he's worked behind the bar at Tunket Sparrow and Anvil and Refuge and uh, probably a whole bunch of other places that I'm, I can't think of off the top of my head. But uh, this was kind of the classic Montrose dive. It closed this summer. Bobby bought their assets. He, he also is one of the owners of the property where it resides. So it was kind of an easy, an easy move for him. Mary, I'm just going to, I'm just going to say, it's just really nice to have a casual neighborhoody bar like Catbirds back open and serving its regulars. I think it's awesome. I love that they saved the name that not much has changed. I mean, they did a little few tweaks here and there, but to the unassuming eye, it still looks and feels like Catbirds. The pricing's right. Wells are 350. You know, it's not a cocktail bar, but if you want that, it's 10 bucks. Beer pricing's reasonable. They have a happy hour. So I think they're going to do a good job of not alienating their regulars and adding to it. And it's nice to have an affordable drinking spot in the neighborhood. And I, I, I liked it even more than I thought I would, to be honest. So, yeah, I was there. I was there Saturday night with our friend, Linda Salinas. You know, Linda used to live in the I neighborhood. Was there with she, her Friday. <laughs> it, yeah, I think Linda's going to be there a lot, at least in the beginning. But, you know, as we were sitting there, people kept walking in and Linda kept standing up to give them hugs, right? Like if you went to this bar in the past, then you're going to recognize a lot of the people there. If you're new to the neighborhood or just going to check it out, you are welcome to, it's it's really that kind of bar, very casual, very come as you are, have a beer, you know, sip a vodka soda or a Jack and Coke, that kind of thing. And uh, you'll fit right in. Welcome addition to the neighborhood. I'm very happy to have it. So way to go. <laughs> All right, Mary, I'm going to say that does it for maybe the longest or certainly the most restaurants of the week we've ever had uh, in one of these segments. So thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. That does it for today's show. Thank you for listening. Join me later this week when my guest will be Dietz Hoffman from Leaf and Grant.